All right. Well, it is just wonderful to be together in worship. It's so good to see you. And uh, I think there's some clipboards and crayon boxes back there. Everyone who wanted one of those got one of those. And uh, that, is, that is good. Deborah is helping us with that. We are uh, privileged to have with us John and Vicki Moore. And the Moores were here about, we, we think, six or seven years ago. It was right, I think, during the transition when you were going, maybe you had just wrapped up or you were just getting ready to go from Budapest, Hungary. Did I say it right? I got the SH in there. Uh, from Hungary to Australia. And, uh, and so they've been down in Australia, New Zealand field for the last six or seven years. And uh, before that, we're there in Hungary. And before that, we're in Concord, correct? And John and Vicki were pastoring at what was my home church in Concord, California. And so in the years that I would come home from my later years in college and seminary, uh, we would get to see the Moors and have been a wonderful mentors in my life and uh, just have been so fun to, to just watch and pray for and just know that uh, the work that they have been doing. And so it's a joy to have them with us. They came all the way from Australia just to be with us here today. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Their son lives in Los Osos. He, their son and his wife and their family. And uh, they're expecting a grandchild to be born any day, and it was due a week ago, and uh, the 10th, wow, oh my goodness, two weeks ago, and so that uh, child has not yet arrived, they head back to Australia on Tuesday, and uh, so, yeah, a collective sigh, and as disappointed as you are, you can only imagine, but we're lifting them up today, and knowing that they have had a great couple weeks with their son and his family and uh, we'll trust and pray for a safe delivery and a wonderful delivery for that, that little baby coming into the world here soon. So uh, it's, it's great that when, when we found out that they were going to be there and, and John just kind of reached out and said, hey, we got an open Sunday, I just immediately said, oh, man, come and be with us. And I've said this before to you guys, but we, we get the chance every now and then to have friends who are working in the mission field, missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene, come and be with us. And it's great to get to hear what they have to share with us about their work in various places. But honestly, it's, it's just great to kind of be around them and get a sense of the, the passion and the spirit that is within them that drives them and the work that they do. And so we just want to say thank you. John and Vicki, thank you so much for the work that you do for the Church of the Nazarene, for the kingdom, and the places where God has called you and the ways he's equipped you for your faithfulness in, in your service. Um, they have prayer cards. I gave some to Greg, and uh, I want to just pass these out if I can. There's, there's, I mean, there's more that we can take, but there's a few uh, of our ushers. If, if everyone just wants to take one of these prayer cards you can have that and, uh, and have that, put that on your refrigerator, put that in your Bible, somewhere where you will see that and you will be reminded to pray. Maybe, maybe you guys can say a little bit more about that if you want. But uh, 
and where you'll be reminded to pray for John and Vicki and the work that they are engaged in, and, uh, and it'll be wonderful. And at the close of their sharing, I'll come back, share some what we'll sing, and then we'll, I'll share some announcements. We are going to receive an offering this morning along with our regular tithes and offerings just to support their work. So I'll talk a little bit more about that, but just want you to have that kind of on your heart as well. So John and Vicki, come and share with us. We're so glad that you're here. God bless you. Good to be with you. It really is. You live in a beautiful place. I don't need to tell you that. We have people line up to be here, and thank you for welcoming us as you have. Just one thing. Don't feel too bad for us. I know it's it's awful that this grandbaby didn't keep his appointment. <laughs> they don't, you know. However, our youngest son and his wife, who live in Benicia, came down to be with us last weekend, and they shared that they're having their first baby. So that was, we wouldn't have been able to be here to hear that announcement if uh, we hadn't come for this late baby. <laughs> but if you have any ideas about how to get that, you know, baby out of the cooker, you know, and speed it up. <laughs> We're here till Tuesday night, and we, <laughs> we fly out about midnight, so it'd be great to, great to do that. Um, yeah, we are, we've been excited because we love these guys. You know, they're, uh, they're our family. When, when you went through what you went through this, this last year with Katie, you know, you had people praying uh, all over Asia Pacific for and your church. World. Yeah. And the world. <clears throat> so we're a part of an incredible family. In fact, um, I was telling this to James earlier that the Church of the Nazarene and Christian Missionary Alliance are the top two uh, committed churches to mission in the world dollar-wise per capita. We, we send more missionaries and we invest more in places that have not yet heard. And the, the big thing we talk about is where the gospel is not yet and there are a, a couple billion people who have never, ever heard about Christ. So mission is about being sent, and it's not about us. It's about you and us together. You're sent the same we are. You are missionaries when you go out that door because there are people all around you. And we want to just talk a little bit about that this morning, and particularly uh, pathways. And you'll notice that word in this passage. I'm going to ask you to read this. Can you see that well enough to read it uh, with us this morning? Let's, let's read it uh, in unison. May, May God, God keep, keep us centered and devoted to him, following the life path he has cleared, watching the signposts, walking at the pace and rhythms he laid down, and you, your lives, must be totally obedient to God, our personal God, following the life path he has cleared, alert and attentive to everything he has made plain. Pathways. Uh, you'll notice that theme in that scripture, and we're all on various pathways. Some are clearly marked. Some are very barren. Some are very beautiful. But each of us travels a pathway. And uh, we have a friend who was raised in Albania. Her name's Chezi. And she was raised a devout Muslim. In fact, she was going to be an imam. I didn't even know there were imams for women, but there are. And that was her goal. You know, Islam means submission to God. And that was the story of Chezi's life before she found Jesus. But she did find Christ through a friend who had become a Nazarene who asked her as a Muslim 
to start a Church of the Nazarene in their village. <laughs> Something seem weird about that to you? Well, her friend said, you, uh, I know you're Muslim, but you do believe in Jesus. He's a great prophet, right? Well, yeah, we can agree on that. Well, just read the stories of Jesus and tell them to the children. Well, I don't need to tell you what happened. As she learned the stories of Jesus, and Jesus became more than just a prophet, but a personal savior. She then, her pathway led her to Busingen, Switzerland, where we met her, and she shared something. And that's why I bring her story up and her pathway up. She said, you know, I don't believe that every pathway leads to God. And maybe you've heard this before, but it really rang a bell with us. She said, I don't believe every pathway leads to God. Some lead away from him. However, Christ is on every pathway. And he will encounter us and bring us to himself if we open our eyes to see him. And I don't know if that's an encouragement to you for those of you who do not have or who do have family members who seem to be traveling away from Christ, he's on their pathway, and we need to keep praying and recognize that Jesus is there. Well, her pathway led her to meet Martin Glendening, who is a, not, not the, uh, what is it? Employee, Employee of, the of the month at Dunder Mifflin, no. He is instead the finance coordinator of our region in Eurasia, and now they live in Budapest, where we used to live. And I just learned this morning they're expecting their second boy. Oh, great. So that's cool. Her pathway has led her in places she never would have dreamed. And I would say that it's the same for you. As you follow Christ, what he does with your life will be beyond your imagination. Yeah, so this is about your pathway as well as ours. And as James mentioned last time uh, we were with you, we, were, we lived, uh, this red thing is not showing up on that screen, but we lived in Budapest in the center of Europe. Now we've moved to this area of the world, and all those white countries are where uh, we work. We work from China down to New Zealand, from Myanmar to Japan. Uh, we, we've, we've got Nazarene churches in all, most of those countries. In Indonesia, the most populous Muslim country in the world. I was there just a couple weeks ago where we graduated 70-some uh, students and, and dynamic students into the, into the ministry of that country. And now we live in Brisbane, Australia, which is right there in that blue spot, the red is I know, there's up. a collective sigh of, oh, poor you, mm -hmm. right? Oh, mm -hmm. having to live in Australia. Australia, though, you, you may not know, it's about the size of, of Europe. It's also nearly the size of continental US, coast to coast, it's a big place. Mm -hmm. um, and we live on the East Coast. This is what it looks like to an Aussie, what the world looks like to, does it look a little different from what you've seen it? Yeah down under and this is our house no it's not. <laughs> no just kidding this this, this is, the is actual... our house no that's no not we don't house. live there either but <laughs> however when you think of Ozzy you probably think of these guys right what are they koalas I didn't hear anybody say koala bears congratulations they're not bears they're marsupials this is my friend Alfred he lives in our backyard and I don't know what he does when we're gone, but he and his brothers come back as soon as they forgive me. I feed them kangaroo meat. And uh, they're laughing because the gross possums. Yeah, possums are cute in Australia. They're yeah, not they're not like, like the ones here. Cockatoos, noisy, screechy things. And John's made friend with bearded dragons. Yeah, right. That guy was on our campus in Australia. Did you know you own a 28-acre campus in Australia? 
Bushland, it's a sheltered reserve where there's koalas and kangaroos. All oh, uh, back, back up. Oops, these are some of our students. Students. Yeah. <laughs> One of them with a baby. Did you see the Joey in their pouch? Did you see it? Okay. Just want to uh, make sure you saw that. Yeah, and this is one of the less motivated students. <laughs> Speaking of the campus, you know, it really needs some care. Yeah, you need to take better You've care of it. You've been neglecting your campus. You're letting it run down a little it's bit. It's run down. So we'd so, like to announce this morning there's going to be a work and witness trip next year to Australia from this church. Can we get sign-ups? There? Oh, there's another one. I see that see? hand. <laughs> okay. Seriously, we need people to come and do this on that campus. I think this was a Southern Cal Southern Cal district. Team this is a picture. Um, this school, even though Australia uh, is a modern country, uh, advanced country, this school serves Asia Pacific. So it serves the Solomon Islands, Fiji, PNG, uh, New Zealand, and there are only 2,000 Nazarenes in all of Australia. So when you think of the plan of trying to support a whole school, 28 acres with 16 uh, units of uh, houses and two dormitories and all the system that's there with 2,000 people. It doesn't work. So it needs partnerships. And so that's why we take uh, teams there every year. And we'd love for you guys to do that. And we'll, we'll talk with you after the service if there's a way to make that happen. This is the bad news about Australia. Okay, got to be honest, truth in advertising. 21 of the 25 most venomous snakes in the world make their home in Australia, but you never see them. No, you never see you them. You never, ever You'd never see, see a snake. You'd never see a snake. You wouldn't see a snake. You would not see a except snake. Except one, this one here. Well, maybe that one, but yeah. he's not venomous. No, he's, he's a friendly. friendly. Yeah, he, yeah. Eats, he eats mice and, and birds. Yeah, he's good to have around the campus. You wouldn't even see him hardly ever, honestly. Honestly, you wouldn't see him. So don't let that keep you from coming. <laughs> We debated whether to put that in there because yeah, I don't know it, you know, it kind of works against us getting you there. But, but you, you got to know, it is there, but really. The odds of you seeing a snake in Australia are like you seeing a snake walking out here. Yeah. You're just not going to see it. It's not going to happen. Anyway, what do you think of when you think of New Zealand? Anybody, anything come to mind, New Zealand? What? Huh? Sailing, oh, yeah. What else? Sheep, yeah. Oh, yes. What? More sheep than people. Did somebody say Lord of the Rings? Yeah, that's what I thought I heard you say. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how that just comes up when you, you know, and, you know, it's an unreached people group, right? The Hobbits? The Hobbits. Yeah. We do door-to-door -door evangelism there on the South yeah. Island. It helps to be short yeah. to do the door-to-door -door calling, you know, because it's yeah. hard to get inside This these is places. Sam's house, just in case you wanted to know. Sam yeah. Ganji, if you care. And you, you recognize these guys right here, don't you? Who are they? The all Blacks. All yeah. Blacks, all they're right. Like the world champion, rugby. you know, rugby is the, the big game there. And uh, they're real friendly guys. You know, they, they actually see the yell guy up in the corner. loud. Yeah. Can you see the guy with his tongue hanging out? Yeah. That's a friendly Maori greeting. You might just YouTube it and you'll see, you know, they go, I'm going to yell, okay? So they go like this, ha, ha, like that. And they yell at their opponents until, you know, they were playing the Australians. The Australians are called the Wallabies. These are the all blacks. And they, they did the haka, yelling, sticking out their tongues. And then the Australians sang, Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda. Vicky said, Game over. And it, it was. And it was, it was. Game over, yeah. 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 So this, this is one of yeah. our church board, uh, church board groups here. 
No. Well, you do ask, and somebody asked me this morning, you know, why do you need missionaries in Australia and New Zealand? They've been settled for a long, long time. And I guess it's because we need missionaries everywhere. We need missionaries here. We need missionaries everywhere. And uh, one of the shocking statistics that we learned when we moved to New Zealand is in this beautiful place. I mean, it doesn't get more beautiful than New Zealand. Yet the suicide rate among young people is the highest in the world. We have one uh, northern New Zealand town uh, in which, was it 13 young people committed suicide in one high school in one year. Yeah. It's epidemic. And uh, we had one young person in one of our churches in that same town that um, ended her life. Now, where does that come from? It, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that New Zealand is also considered one of the most secular of nations, that they pride themselves on being secular and not really following any divine power of any kind. Well, there's a void in the young people here, mm -hmm. searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for God. And it shows itself in this hopelessness among the youth mm -hmm. especially. So we would pray for, ask you yeah. to pray for the young people of New Zealand yeah. and Australia, especially the indigenous people mm -hmm. there. And um, you're, yeah. they're your brothers and sisters. When we first went there uh, a little over six years ago, they were going to close the Church of the Nazarene. And we said to them, no, we're not going to close. We're going to re revamp the Church of the Nazarene. They had seven young people in their district uh, youth meeting a couple years before we got there. Well, I'll just fast forward our, our last one. We had over 200 young people in this last one. And the church is moving. We planted several new churches. They're, they're not traditional kinds of churches, but they're kind of organic. And a lot of house churches. We've got a Sikh church, you know, the Sikh people from uh, Nepal and, and uh, that area of the world, the Eastern, and a lot of different kinds of churches are emerging in that part of the world. Immigration is another huge story in our part of the world. Yeah, it's the same here. You know, there's, uh, the world has moved next door. We don't need to go to mission fields. They're right among us. And so, whereas 50 years ago, there was an all-white immigration policy, uh, Northern Europe almost exclusively uh, could it could immigrate to Australia. That's no longer the case. Now, one out of every four Aussies has been born elsewhere, yeah. and mostly in places like Africa and Asia and um, the Middle Eastern countries. We have a great number of Syrian immigrate, immigrants who are, who are coming now. In yeah. fact, we've helped resettle several families in the last mm -hmm. few months. Yeah, there are over 500,000 Arabic-speaking people in Sydney, Australia, alone. Now, one missiologist says, consider this. If you were God, and a lot of the Arab countries were saying, God, the Judeo-God, you can't come in here, what would you maybe do? Remember when God moved the hands of King Cyrus to let the people go back to their homeland? Well, if God wants to get the good news out to the world, um, he's bringing them to the West. That's what's happening. He's resettling. And I, th I think sometimes we get caught up in the politics of our countries and we forget the big picture of what God's trying to do, redeem humanity. And there's high risk in all of this. There's no doubt about that. Mission work has never been entirely safe. Trust me. And I could tell you some stories. We have a friend. This is a bit off topic, but not really. Mm -hmm. That's why two of us are here. 
uh -huh. so that if we get off topic, we rein one another in. Thank you. Honey. Yeah, I, so I appreciate I'm, okay. it. Okay. Uh, a friend of ours who's in a very high risk area, somebody was praying for her and said, you know, we're praying for safety for you. She said, please don't pray for safety, pray for mm -hmm. courage. Yeah. I'm called to a task that's not safe. Yeah. So pray for courage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when you're talking like that, I'm thinking of uh, a couple I met, five children in the most populous Muslim country in the world in a place where it's illegal to talk about Christianity. And here they are, Nazarene missionaries. And there, there are several of those young couples. I mean, if, if we had time to talk about China, which we don't today, you would be so amazed at the Church of the Nazarene in China, the young people there that are there, our missionaries, and they're such an encouragement to us. But as you said, I'm getting off track. <laughs> Jong Il, this man, Korean, came as a Buddhist monk to Australia. Fast story here, he came to know Christ. Now he's a mission-funded missionary from the Church of the Nazarene in the outback of Australia. So we've traveled with him all the way across the outback. One of his recruits from, from Korea was uh, Peter Seong, this man who came to work among the Aborigines. But when he got to Perth on the west side of Australia, instead of his heart being drawn to all of the Aboriginal needs, which there are many, uh, he saw the international students who were arriving by the boatload, you know, to come study English as a second language. And so here's this Korean with, with Korean as a first language. He decided to do English as second language classes. He was plugged into a Nazarene church, little church, Dianella. Um, I don't know, maybe 30 people yeah. in that. And he could hardly speak English himself. He could hardly himself. <laughs> but, you know, these, the people in that church were native English speakers, mm -hmm. mostly retired. And they, um, he asked them, could you just open the building and open yourselves to these young people? Food, cook food. <laughs> you know, isn't that the international language, food? And so they opened their, their hearts to these young people and brought them in and then just had conversational English lessons around the tables. Uh, no big deal, just talking one-to-one. -one. And what happens is relationships are formed. And when relationships are formed, Jesus is shared. And these young people, like John said, who come from some very hostile places in terms of the religious climate of any kind, much less Christianity, they have been welcomed by a Christian community. They encounter the real Christ, know him as friend, and they're going back to their home countries then and spreading the word among their families. Some actually have been uh, rejected from their families and can't return home. But it's a beautiful story of a rebirth in this community, um, of this church itself, where they have rekindled the mission passion for their own community and the communities beyond. Yeah. Their motto is, let them belong before they believe. So they come in, they're, they, they are Islamic, they're Taoist, they're Buddhist, they're Hindus, but let them belong before they believe. And so this is Theo who's adopted this, this young man as her disciple, and they put them, they teach them guitar, uh, English, with the guitars, and then they have them sing on the worship team. So the worship team actually has Buddhist Hindus on it, leading worship. That but make you a little uncomfortable. Let them belong. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> let them belong before they believe. They believe as Wesleyans. We're Wesleyans, you know, our tradition. 
in the radical optimism of grace, where God speaks to the heart through provenient grace and begins to woo. And we were there when 15 of these young people were baptized one Sunday, and the next week they baptized another six who couldn't make it to, down here to the, to the ocean. Um, and that church has been so effective in sending the students then back to their country of origin, where uh, in Malaysia, uh, you know, you can't talk about God, but here's these Malaysian students. So God has given this church a mission, and as Vicki said, it's been rebirthed. Yeah, I don't know if you, you want to... Oh, go ahead. Okay, th this young man is Ali, who came from Pakistan, and when he came through this church and was baptized, he wrote his dad, and his dad said, if you come home, the family will uh, kill you. And Ali said, what do we do? So this is Graham, who worked in the immigration department and also is in that church, and got him immigrated, and now he's marrying a, a young woman. Talk about pathways. Yeah. You know, of all things, he's led to this church and in which is one of the chief immigration officers who can help him get refugee status. It's just a beautiful way of seeing God unfold our pathways before yeah. us, watching the signposts. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go to New Zealand. Just two quick stories, and then we're done. But You uh, know what? Mm -hmm. Your pastor never told us when to quit. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've been in a lot of churches, and you go look right back there, and there's a clock. There's no clock. So, oh, is there a clock? Thanks a lot. <laughs> how, how long do we have? Keep going. All right. Every once in a while, we, we see God do something that's kind of beyond the, the, the normal. And we preached on, in this church in New Zealand. Uh, this was six years ago. And at the close of the service, a man came to the, in fact, there were about 30-some people at the altar, but a man came over here, um, and his wife was with him, and his son was with him, and there was another woman behind him. And we said, how can we pray for you? And he said, well, uh, my son, uh, other son, is in the mental hospital, and he hasn't spoken uh, to me for three years. We have no conversation. He's, something happened to his mind, and... Uh, I'm a Hindu, but my friend, and then he pointed to the woman who was behind him and said, my friend who works with me at the university said, if, if you turn to Jesus, he can heal your son. So this is my third Sunday in this church, and when you preached on healing, I preached on John 5 where Jesus healed the man who had been uh, for 38 years an invalid, and, and he said, stand up and walk, and the guy stood up and walked. So he comes and he goes, she said, your Jesus can do this for my my son so no, no, no pressure <laughs> so, so anyway we prayed and we laid hands on him and that afternoon uh, pastor weeple's uh, phone call uh, rang uh, from this this man his name is ramesh and he said i don't know what happened but uh, i called the hospital and my son talked to me and the nurses were saying he's we don't know what's happened to him but he's acting strangely normal and, now, this is yeah. a young man who had been through all sorts of different diagnostic tests and treatments. And, I mean, you name it, he had yeah. been through it. And um, Ramesh is a skeptical scientist. Mm -hmm. he's, um, he's a man, uh, what do you call it, who's who mm -hmm. in New Zealand uh, as a scientist and doctor. And so he's not easily swayed. And when he l saw that his son was in his right mind, he tested it and the doctors tested it. And this was Sunday. By Thursday of that week, they let Kartik, the son, out for a few hours. And by the Sunday, mm -hmm. a week later, he mm -hmm. was in worship. Released from the, the hospital. Church, released yeah. from the hospital. Yeah. Now, it hasn't been 
uh, consistent uphill climb. He's had troughs and, and uh, so forth, but he is today in his right mind. God healed him. Yeah. God yeah. healed him. Yeah. What the doctors couldn't do, yeah. Christ did. Yeah. And it's changed mm -hmm. a family, it's changed a church, it's changed a community as people yeah. have seen this. And it's, it's hard to believe this, but I'm going to tell you a little piece of this story that I left out. But when, when Kartik, the young man, was walking through the hospital gym at the time we were praying and anointing his dad and his mom, he said a man walked up to him and said, I am Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I have come to walk with you. And Kartik said immediately, I felt something different. Now, I've, I've only met a few people who say they've seen Jesus, but he's one of them, and he will tell you today um, that same story. And I, I don't understand why that doesn't happen all the time I pray for people. Uh, most of the time, the people I pray for get more sick, you know. But uh, this, God decided to do what, and I think we need to obey the word and pray for the sick. And I think there's testimonies right here um, of people who have been touched by the healing hand of God even though sometimes it's through medicine. Well, that, that story, we went to the house the next day. We prayed in their, we prayed in their home. This is the, the father and the mother, uh, Ramesh and Sarai. And they had Buddhist temples all through. They had different gods all through um, Hindu gods, excuse me. Pastor Weeple there in the black T-shirt. And the young man who was healed is in the far right corner. And... The, the, the father said to Weeple a couple of months later, what am I going to do with all my gods? Because I've got all these gods, and, and what do we do? And, and he called me and said, what should we do? And I said, I don't know. You guys pray and ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what to do. Well, Ramesh decided, I'm going to do what we do with Hindu gods in India. When we get rid of a god, we take it and throw it in the ocean. So Weeple hired this boat, and they went out in the Auckland Bay. And one by one... Uh, Ramesh took these gold. This is expensive. This is expensive stuff. When the brother saw his brother getting converted and throwing away his Hindu God, he was so mad. He called the priest. He called, tried to stop this whole thing. But Ramesh said, no, I'm going to get rid of all my gods. So he took them, and one by one, he held his gods up. And he said, my great God, <laughs> my great God who healed my son, I've been worshiping this little God. And now I renounce this God, and he would name the God and throw it in the water. And uh, the, the guy who was the pilot of this boat was a, was a Muslim. <laughs> and he, he was going, what in the world are you doing? In fact, I think he was checking his GPS to come back there, you know, <laughs> check this place out again. But, and the, he had so many of these gods, he finally, you see that bag? He had two bags full of gods, and he just dumped, he finally dumped the second bag. It was taking too long. He just dumped the whole second bag in there. Well, this is, this is a radical conversion. And when we were there recently, we snapped this picture on the porch of the church where he, he's now a lay pastor in that church <laughs> and a full-on follower of Jesus Christ who has no problem believing that God can heal anybody because of what God has done for his son. Um, we, One more yeah, story. Yeah, we'll finish with this and story. And it has to do with the same congregation there in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, the pastor there was... Uh, preparing for his message Saturday night quite late. And the phone rang, and it was a voice he didn't know. <clears throat> and the man on the phone said, are you Pastor Weeple Karat? 
I've heard about you. Um, I understand that you pray for businesses, and I have a new business, and I'd like you to come and pray for my business and give a blessing. And um, Weeple said, happy to do that. Let's set up an appointment. He said, no, I mean now. Come now. He said, oh, I can't do that. I've got, I'm, I've got church in the morning. And he said, well, I, I really need you to come now. And Weeple felt the tug of the spirit on his heart. And he said, okay, I'll come. So Weeple hopped in his car, got the address, put it in his GPS, and followed down into the city center, down into a place that he'd heard of, and he knew that a pastor ought not to be on a Saturday night. Maybe nobody should be there any time. It got uh, pretty bad. And over the door of this place that led down, it said the black hole. And Weeple looked at that, and he said, I can't go down there. And God very clearly spoke to Weeple and said, where would you go? Uh, where wouldn't you go if I went with you? I'm asking. Go into the black hole and I'll be with you. So we both descended the stairs. And as he did, he said he felt such oppression. Got to the bottom and it was, this isn't a picture of the actual place, but it was somewhat like this. Very, just a wild, chaotic scene. It was a club. It was a brothel. It was, you name it. Everything was going on there. Weeple thought, I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. And just that, at that moment, someone recognized Weeple and said, turn up the lights, turn down the music, grab the mic, and said, this is Pastor Weeple. He's my pastor, and he's come to pray for my business. They had never met each other before. Now but, think about that. But the owner recognized. I would love to have been there. You know, wouldn't you? He's come to pray. So Weeple, short guy, he gets up on an elevated area. And he's and saying all the time, I can't bless this business. I can't. God can't bless this business, but I can bless these people. I can ask God to bless these people. And in fact, he said he felt the Lord say to him, bless this man, the owner, and bless these people. Different prayer right. than bless my business. So Weeple raised his hands in this kind of posture. Now, Stephen, the owner, had never seen that sort of thing. So Stephen turned to Weeple and gave him a double high five. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, you and, can't make this story. <laughs> and, and Weeple began to pray. And he prayed a blessing on Stephen, on his family, on the people that were there. And then he spent the next couple hours just mingling among the tables and among the people. And then he went home, had a regular service the next day. Yeah. And then the phone rang two yeah. weeks later. A couple weeks later, uh, Stephen calls Pastor Weeple and says, um, where's your church? He said, I've, I've decided to do something you know, based upon just things happening in my life. I'm going to sell my business, and I, I want to I talk with you. So he came to the church, and he stepped into the kingdom that day when uh, Weeple met with him. And now he's one of the lay pastors in that church. Um, this is him right here, Stephen. And his son, which we just flew by those pictures, I'm not sure what's the matter with my uh, Taiwan, uh, asked us to help him get an appointment at Loma Nazarene University. Have you ever heard of that school? <laughs> well, he wanted to get in there. He brought a big file, and he set it down in front of us, opened it up. It was stellar. I mean, it was, you see, he was the top scorer. It's, it's kind of like the, what do you call that? Little SAT, test you have to take SAT, here. Yeah, yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. Nobody scores a perfect score, but Taiwan had... And he had pretty much any college he wanted to go to, but Point Loma was his choice. However, it was about a month before school started. We did all we could to try to get him in that year. 
and they were just full. He said, we'll put you on next year's list. But he had a fallback school. Yeah, a little, a little place called Harvard. <laughs> so he went there. He's just completed his degree, and he's in a fully funded PhD degree. And we had some people, actually, you would know Glenn and Nola Delamonica. Um, they were in the Nashua Church. Uh, they're outside of Boston. And we called him and said, Taiwan is coming, coming into town. Can you meet him at the airport? So some Nazarenes on that side of the United States picked him up at the airport and, and brought him into the church. And uh, as, as I showed you this next picture, when we were there recently, here's, here's Stephen there with his whole family uh, worshiping the Lord. And, and did you say he's a, a house church house pastor? House church pastor, yeah. You know, it's yeah. just remarkable. Those people that we look at, at across, you know, boundaries and barriers, we say, oh, never, you know, that could never be. But God has another pathway in mind, and you are the Christ on that pathway right. for those people. So I just encourage you to raise your sights, to see what Jesus sees in the lives of other people, even in your own family, right. and be the missionary right where you are. Yeah. And we thank you for allowing us to serve in your behalf in a church that really does care about the lost and the broken. Yeah, yeah. So true, so true. And, you know, I just want to add to what you just said. Um, somebody, God's bringing somebody across your pathway, and it's the most surprising thing to suddenly realize there's a divine thing going on here as the Father who wants to reach every lost person is trying to connect you on your pathway with them on their pathway. And I don't know what, what words he would give you, but he will give you words to be a minister, to be a missional disciple and help that person, whether it's at your school or your workplace or some place in your neighborhood. So I guess our question is, how are you engaging in mission? It's, it's, not a, it's not a pushy question, but it's just a, to raise the question. What, what is, how is God using you as a missionary? Where's the disciple? Where are the disciples in my life? Can I point to them? It's not a guilt thing. It's, a, it's just a question to call us to be followers of Jesus into a world that so desperately, desperately needs them. Let us pray with you, Lord Jesus. Um, this is such a neat moment with people we feel so much at home with, brothers and sisters, literally, through your sacrificial offering on the cross. We belong to one another, and we join Christians around the world who are wanting to see the fulfillment of the prayer you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, everyone, Lord, to help people see your kingdom and step into your kingdom of love and peace and kindness and patience. Forgive us when we fail to do that. We thank you for your wonderful grace and patience with us. But, Lord, help us not to just kind of hibernate in our own activity and our own busyness. Help us, Lord, to see every day as a missional opportunity being sent out by you into a world that needs a spoken word, a blessing, a loving touch that draws them into your kingdom of forgiveness and hope. 
Thank you for James and this church and Kyla. And we pray you would bless their leadership and bless this church. And may many, many other people around the world be touched through them. We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen.